more time. <laughs> do, 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 do. Here we go. My name's Todd. This is Kathy. Welcome back to another episode of Zen Parenting Radio. This is podcast number 501. Why listen to Zen Parenting Radio? Because you'll feel outstanding. And who doesn't want to feel outstanding? And I always remember our motto, which is the, the best predictor of a child's well-being is a parent's self-understanding. Uh, on today's show, what, we have a title for the show. What are we calling it? We're calling it Raising an Upstander. Raising an Upstander. Why are we calling the title of this podcast Raising an Upstander? Uh, we're going to call it that because we're going to talk about what it means to be an upstander. We're going to talk about the bystander moment, which is the movie we're screening on Tuesday. And we're going to do that by talking about the book uh, Missoula by John Krakauer. So we're going to try and like discuss all three things. Um, obviously, the most specific thing, like with upstander movements, um, it's a lot about bullying too. Mm-hmm. We're going to talk more specifically about sexual assault. Yeah. Um, but the ideas and the way to raise a child who has an understanding of what it means to be an upstander it, are the same, yeah. but we're just going to use Missoula in this book as our, like, you know, the, the points we're going to make. So and, go Todd, ahead. before you go on, will you turn up my earphones just a little bit? Cause I'm kind of. Okay. Is that better? Much better. Thank you. Um, so you mentioned, uh, so this podcast is getting released on Tuesday, July 9th. If you're hearing it on Tuesday, July 9th, and you happen to live in Chicago, we are doing a free screening of a movie called The Bystander Moment that Kathy just talked about. Um, it's free. It's at 7 o'clock. We'd love to see it. If you, if you obviously. the Elmhurst, Elmhurst Pub- Public Library. Library. If uh, you don't live in Chicago, you can get this film pretty easily, and I will include the link to the show notes. But this is a quick 35-second blurb. It's uh, produced by Jackson Katz, who's one of my heroes, Um, talks a lot about equality and uh, feminism and things like that. And this is a quick 30 seconds from the trailer. When people hear the word bystander, they think about how people don't act when they see someone in duress on the streets. We'll examine the bystander effect and why it may have led people to just walk on by. There's at least 10 individuals that are standing around watching this and no one is intervening. But the problem with talking about the bystander effect is that that has to do with strangers seeing something happening to strangers on the street. When we talk about the bystander approach, we're not talking about strangers on the street. We're talking about known peer cultures. We're talking about when they're in peer cultures where they know people, why don't they act? Two high school football Football stars from Steubenville, Ohio, sexually assaulted a visibly intoxicated 16-year-old girl. How could- okay, good enough. Um, so I got some. I got uh, quite a few guys from my men's group that are going to show up. They're bringing their teenage sons and daughters. I'm bringing our two teenage daughters. Yep. Uh, it's only an hour long, and then we're going to have a discussion about it. So that kind of sets. Kathy and I didn't know if we wanted to talk about this today, um, but there's just too many reasons. You just finished this book. Yeah, th- yeah. Like a few, a bunch of things came up. There were some things in the news that just recently came up about a sexual assault case. I happened to be reading Missoula over um, this 4th of July week, and finally, because I'd been uh, hearing about it for a long time and I wanted to read it. And also the fact that we were screening this movie, um, it just made sense. And really, the goal of it is not to sensationalize sensationalize the stories we're going to tell, or it's not about being gratuitous or it's about if you have, we can't do anything about these issues until we believe there's an issue and we believe there's something to upstand for. Yes. (laughs) Because right now I don't know why sexual assault is a political issue. Um, because I don't know why anybody thinks it's like somebody against somebody. Mm -hmm. It's a, um, crime and it is a crime that is, you know, the statistic around how often somebody reports and whether or not their report is considered um, false. The statistic is exactly the same for any other crime, meaning like if someone is sexually assaulted, the likelihood that they're going to uh, lie about it is between 2 and 10 percent. That's the same for someone who says their house is broken into, their car has been stolen, um, that, you know... Any number of other crimes. Someone has hurt them, beat them up. It's the exact same stat. Um, Yet this is the only um, issue that we have where actually the victim of the crime ends up being more... uh, 
being put through the ringer about what, what happened to them. Blamed. Because, blamed. Thank you. Um, better word than put through the ringer. Um, because of these false belief systems we have. And Todd and I have done plenty of shows about Me Too. We've done plenty of shows about sexual assault. This is something that's a big part of our work because we are lucky enough um, in our situation that Todd gets to work with men and I get to work with women. So we have this ability to come together and talk about things from both perspectives. Well, and I, what I'll say is, um, you know, I think this would be a big deal regardless of my family situation that I have three daughters, one of which is going to enter the university system at some point in the next few years. Um, but it, I, it just holds a very important piece in my life. And that's part of the reason that drives me to work with men and and helping guys understand what it means to be a man and kind of like... A healthy man. A healthy man, a healthy masculine man. And um, so th there's there's some very personal reasons why I think it's a very important topic. And here's the thing, you guys, if I had three sons, I would be just as motivated to do this work. This isn't about if you've got a son or a daughter. There, I have so many men in my life that I love. This is not about I have daughters, therefore I'm going to protect them. That's the old model. Yeah. The new model is, is I am going to educate my daughters about what's right and wrong for them, about their ability to make choices for themselves, about their ability to... Um, um, you know, they get to choose for themselves yeah. what's right and they get to speak up and they can say if something happened to them. But I work with, you know, my college students, you know, and my nephew and my daughter's friends and all and, you know, men that are our age. Mm -hmm. So many men that I care about that I want them to understand, too, yeah. that they can make different choices. This isn't just about let's teach girls how to take care of themselves. We have to, on both sides, come to an agreement and an understanding of how we are affecting each other. Because if we don't, if we think this is you against me, you're trying to take me down, I'm trying to take you down, it's just going to be a war. So can you do a few of the disclaimers that we talked about? Because then I want to read some stats that I got out of some summaries of this book. And the disclaimers are... It's not just women who get assaulted. Okay, and all that so stuff. we always have to do this because we, you know, it, it's actually interesting that I'm about to do this because it frustrates Todd and I a little bit when every interview starts with all these disclaimers, but they're necessary because for a really long time, we've been unable to have this conversation because people get super defensive yeah. really quick, which I can understand if it's a little, you know, if, if you don't have all the information, then you assume people are coming after you. <laughs> Here's the thing. Both women and men get raped. Both women and men get molested. Um, there are women that have been perpetrators before. All true. Yep. Okay. But some of the, and, and maybe you're going to read some of these statistics and I don't sure. want to steal your thunder here, but just to be clear, 91% of the victims of rape and sexual assault are women. So why I say that is because I'm not denying the 9% of men that yeah. are, because we know some of them yeah. and it's just as painful and they have the exact same experience of PTSD and trauma and sometimes even more so because as men, it also threatens their masculinity, sure. right? I get that. But we got to look at the details of this and know, and the numbers and know that 91% are women. Yes. And 91, you know, so anyway, so go on. So I'm just going to bullet point these stats. All right, okay, sweetie. Go ahead. In college. Yes. It says one in five women get raped. Is that, yes. Is that one in five women and one in seventy-one men will be raped at some point in their lives? Okay. Um, Not just at college. And then, should we differentiate between rape and assault? Um, well, it's different state by state. Okay. Because, like in Missoula, so would it be a a little bit more ambiguous? But if a safer stat: one in five college women will get sexually assaulted. Correct, because it has a lot to do with penetration, and yes. sometimes. By the way. Everybody, we'll just back up for a second. Back up, back up, back up, back up. If you can't already tell by the content we're talking about, if you are listening with your kids right now, this is probably one of those episodes that if you have a, a teenager, I think it's really important. For sure. But if you're listening with your four-year-old, you may not, you may want to save this one for when you're cleaning the kitchen or sure. when you're on a run. Sure. Um, so just FYI. 
So moving on to what you were just asking is it's a form of penetration. So like one of the women in Missoula um, who was raped and it fell under the category of rape because of the, yes, it was, it was digital. Yeah. Okay. So it was not somebody raped her and it was intercourse, Mm -hmm. but it was digital and it was extreme. Yeah. You know, it was, it was extreme. Yeah. So that is still sexual assault. That is, and that was called rape in their state. Got it. So that's why we can't, it's different in every state. Second one, 80% uh, of rape is committed by an acquaintance. Correct. In eight out of 10 cases of rape, the victim knew the person who assaulted them. 80% don't report to the police. I have, very similarly, 81% of women and 35% of men um, do not report. Less than 5% are ever prosecuted. Yes, I have the exact same stat. Less than 3% ever face jail time convictions. So meaning the perpetrator. Ninety, Yeah. Not the victim. 97% yes. of the perpetrators get away scot-free. Correct. And then 80% of rape, I think I said this, yeah, 80% of rape survivors do not report to the authorities. So those are my stats. And as far as going back to college campuses, since we're talking about Missoula, is more than 90% of sexual assault victims on college campuses do not report. Right. So we're in everyday life, 80%, and that probably includes college campuses. I'm sure that's everybody. Mm-hmm. But on a college campus, 90% don't report. So just for clarification, because I don't know if we really presented this very well, um, the book we're referring to is a John Krakauer book. It's called Missoula rape and the justice system in a college town. He wrote it in 2015. Um, we're big fans of John Krakauer's oh, yeah. previous He's one of my books. favorite authors, Into Thin Air, Into the Wild, Under the Banner of Heaven, amongst a few others. Yes. And and I'll say this just for people who have some knowledge about this book. He got a lot of pushback about it. Uh, the town didn't like it. They felt like they were being um, demonized. demonized. When the truth is, they don't really have the highest uh, rape statistic in the country. Less, a little bit less than average. Which was his point yes. in that if this town has this many struggles yep. and their percentage is a little lower. Yep. The reason he chose this college town is because this his his reporting on this started with someone in his family or someone very close to him who was still struggling with a rape 10 years after it happened. Mm. He didn't understand this. He was he you know, said, I didn't understand why she's still struggling with a rape 10 years afterwards. He didn't understand how it affects people. Psychology. So he started investigating for his own understanding. understanding. Yes. He wasn't trying to research a book at the time. And he, he ran across a story from Missoula about a girl that opens the book named Allison, who there is a, her best friend from childhood rapes her. Mm. And it's her story of how it evolved in, which is basically the whole first chapter of the book. And he got really interested in this story. And then when he started looking into Missoula and where this happened, he realized that like over the last two or three years, maybe it was even four years, there were 350 sexual assaults that had been reported and only like 10 or 14 that had been in any way prosecuted. Mm -hmm. And I don't even know what the result was. So he was like, what is going on? So that's how it all started. Um, So I just wanted to, and the other pushback he got was that a lot of the people in the book claim that he didn't talk to them. And he, if you watch any interview with him, read anything, he's like, I, I talk to everybody. He's a very thorough investigating author, reporter, whatever. Exactly. And so I'm just trying to say that for someone who's like, oh, I heard this and this about this book. Todd and I did some pretty deep investigation about the history of this book. We've listened to a lot of the interviews, read a lot of the reports. Um, and, um, you know, there's no way I can say it's 100% accurate. No sure. book is. But the I, I feel as if it's a, a well-researched book. Yes, exactly. Um, so should I play a clip or where do you want to start? Um, let's see. Yeah, why don't you start? We'll just start the conversation here. All right. So this is uh, John Krakauer, the author, was getting interviewed on CBS this morning. And this is just a quick uh, minute or so from that interview. ...of rape in this country. Uh, and there's all these myths that if, if, if a woman is being raped, she'll fight to the death. You know, if she didn't, 
oh, well, that proves she must have wanted it. Well, that's nonsense. Women, there's many reasons that the trauma of being penetrated in your most private parts right. by another person is so different than other kinds of trauma that it changes the brain chemistry. There's good science, irrefutable science. In one it. of the cases, the woman who, after she was raped, she drove the rapist home. That's which, right. Which police then used against her. That's right. The, the defense attorneys for the quarterback used that against her. But in fact, the psychologist who is an expert witness, Dr. David Lisak, pointed out that that's pretty common. He's seen that a lot, just that kind of so thing. So the question is, why do they do it? Why do men rape? Is it about power, control, or is it about sex? It's about can you smell the irony of that question, <laughs> sweetheart? So the person who was speaking there, so it was Gail King. Mm -hmm. And then the person who asked that question was Charlie Rose. Who has been accused. Um, of sexual harassment. Correct. Yeah. I don't know if he, he, it was sexual assault. So why would a woman who just got raped drive the perpetrator home? So here's the thing that we don't understand. This is why it's really important for educators, therapists, parents to understand trauma. Okay, because trauma does not look the way we think it looks. Um, trauma, when you are in a position of, of um, being harmed, okay, like you are being harmed in some way or you feel that you are um, under attack, we forget that there are actually three responses, not just two. Yeah. We always say fight or flight, mm -hmm. okay? You're either going to fight or you're going to run. We forget the third response, which is freezing. Yeah. Okay. And this is all through nature and human beings do this all the time. And I think men and women both can think about times when they've froze. Like let's take, let's take it off sexual assault. You're standing in the street and a car is coming towards you. Sometimes you freeze, yeah. a train is coming, you freeze. Sure. Like these are, um, basically it's a shutdown of your prefrontal cortex where there's so many chemicals because of your fear and because of what's happening and because of your brain's ability to wrap its mind literally around what's happening to you that you do nothing. And this is like a, a very typical response of someone who is being molested, right. someone who is being raped, someone who's in the middle of being mugged. Like I, I know a few people who have been mugged who have been like, they, they could have run and they didn't. Yep. You know, they literally are standing there and it's not a thought process. There is something about the brain. And a lot of it is, you know, you if you read about this, you'll get a lot of, you know, different scientists and, you know, therapists and neurobiologists explaining why and, and what chemicals are going on. But a lot of times with the women I talk to, they fear getting hurt more by saying something, by stopping it, a lot of girls who are being raped like in their sleep or when someone thinks that they're passed out will allow it to continue, meaning they're not allowing anything. They just shut down yeah. because they're more fearful of stopping it because that, that they think they'll be harmed more. Their thought process is, if I do something right now and this person is willing to do this to me while I'm asleep, what are they going to do to me if I tell them to stop? So you just gave a really good explanation of why um, a somebody who just assaulted or raped somebody that the victim would um, drive the person home. So let's well, actually say, I didn't talk about that. Oh, you did. Can I talk about sure, that? Sure, go ahead. So I'm talking about in the midst of the crime. In the midst of it. Okay. okay. So the next thing is, uh, women have also been taught to not make waves, mm -hmm. to um, make sure everybody around them feels okay about what just happened. There is like, I remember a story we told about uh, six months ago or a year ago about when Amy Schumer came out and said she had been raped by a boyfriend of hers, yeah. that she was actually sleeping next to, they hadn't slept together yet, and she woke up and he was having sex with her. Yeah. And she said that after it was over and he kind of, he felt bad, mm -hmm. she soothed him. Mm -hmm. She like was like- She made him feel She better. made him feel better. And I understand how in a courtroom that can be ripped apart, but understanding trauma, it makes complete sense to me. Yeah. You know, if anybody is, and, and I keep using this as an example only because I think it's doing such a good job of portraying a realistic domestic abuse situation, but we've been talking about big little lies. Mm -hmm. You can have the crap beat out of you and then hug that person as you fall asleep. Yeah. If you've ever worked with, you know, women or men who have been abused in this way, it's, it's not straightforward. Our brain has a traumatic response, our emotional and what we've been taught by society. So I can see someone saying, okay, this thing just happened to me. Um, I need to get this person out of here as soon as I can. I'll drive them home. Yeah. Okay. So okay, now there you the, go. the next part. So now they're safe from harm. Right. 
why in the world wouldn't a victim instantly go to the police to make sure this gets investigated and they get prosecuted for it? Okay, because of the stats that you've already offered, which it's different in every state, but it's always around that 97%, yeah. they have watched other people come forward. They have heard other people's stories about not being believed by the police. They have heard people who maybe have gotten through that hurdle of the police and then have found themselves in a courtroom and then they get taken to task for what happened. I keep saying taken to task. Mm -hmm. They get blamed mm -hmm. for what happened. They, you know, basically the questions are, what were you doing? What were you drinking? What were you wearing? So they know that. That's going to happen. And they know that the, the rate of the person who um, attacked them or who victimized them of them facing any consequences is minimal. Yeah. Now, that's actually what I think is a third tier thing. Mm -hmm. I think the first tier thing is I have to figure out what just happened to yeah. me. Sometimes it takes people a really long time. I have had women in my office who have told me a story about being sexually assaulted and they didn't use that language. And then when they told me the whole story and said it out loud, I have said, do you understand now what happened to you? And they have the realization that they were raped or sexually assaulted. In that moment, in your office Correct. and not before. Exactly. And that's been with teens, mm -hmm. or I should say college students. And um, well, and teens, unfortunately, I have heard from some. And then women who are in their 40s, who are telling me a story of being 20, who are like, holy crap. I was raped. Right. But their brain, because of the trauma and the immense impact and the ability to do anything about it, categorized it somewhere else. Not only categorized it somewhere else, but internally blamed themselves and shamed themselves. So it, it became something, not only did they not go to the police, which is kind of the third tier thing, sure. they also decided it was their fault that it even happened. Mm -hmm. Can I read a quick quote, Todd? Please. Go ahead. Um, because I found this quote to be like the most powerful way to say this. Okay. So this quote is by Jessica Valenti, who wrote The Purity Myth. And she said, now, should we treat women as independent agents responsible for themselves? Of course. But being responsible has nothing to do with being raped. Women don't get raped because they were drinking and took drugs. Women do not get raped because they weren't careful enough. Women get raped because someone raped them. Mm. Wow. Okay, I mean that we we do we have all this finger pointing about if she would have worn something different, if she hadn't been drunk, if she had stayed with her friend, if she hadn't slept there, if she hadn't trusted this guy, somebody did it, mm -hmm. regardless of her alcohol level. Well, and it, I found this uh, interview between, and this is an ABC News thing, and there is a news reporter who's interviewing one of the victims that is identified in, in Missoula? Missoula, the book. And uh, listen up. Well, why didn't you scream out? Why didn't you fight back? This person is already willing to rape you. It's hard to imagine what they would, wouldn't do, you know, what they wouldn't do to stop you from telling people. So those are the two people in the beginning of the book that I told you about, Allison and Bo. And yeah. in that story, after it, she has that exact experience where he's raping her, she, he, she's 130 pounds, he's 231 pounds, he's a football player. Mm -hmm. And she is it, She wakes up when it's happening and she's scared to death. Her brain is, is stuck. Uh, she's freezing and she's also feeling as if, if I do something right now, what could possibly happen yeah, to me? Yeah, if they're already doing this. Exactly. What's to say that they won't take the next step and take it up? I don't know if you can make it worse. I guess you can he kill could her. He could hurt her. Right, he could, right. you know, in another way. Um, he's already hurting her, but he could hurt her in another way. And she ends up running away. She ends up like when everything is over and she thinks, and he thinks she's asleep, she ends up leaving and running and he ends up running after her. Now she feels like he's running after her and she's thinking to herself, he's going to kill me. He's going to kill me. Cause that's where her brain is, yeah. is in There's fear. There's no prefrontal cortex. Correct. This is reptilian brain stuff. Correct. Now what he was actually saying to her was stop Allison I didn't mean to um I'm he, sorry he realized he, he might realized get in what trouble. he did mm -hmm. yeah. so you know once she was able to sit and tell the whole story she could hear the words he was saying but she just felt as if he's going to kill me yeah now let me say something in the middle of this so we don't lose people when we talk about these things what I think Todd and my hope always is and why we're screening this movie on Tuesday 
and why we want to not only educate women about how to take care of themselves, but men about um, what consent is and sometimes what they believe is okay, which is not okay. Yeah. Their own kind of privilege and entitlement. Not, I'm not saying that men are privileged and entitled. I'm saying sometimes they're taught they can be. Sure. Does that make sense? Of course. Todd and I are not like, let's throw a bunch of boys in jail. Right. This is not about prison sentences and locking them up for 30 years. My goal is let's get to kids before this happens. Let's teach them about what they can do differently. It's not about end result and punishment. If you listen to Zen Parenting Radio, we're actually much bigger fans of communication and education than punishment. Which is exactly why we're, you know, I'm hoping that we get some people there that, uh, you know, it's probably a little too... um, it's probably the content is probably not good for anybody on 12 and under, but it's about having these really important conversations with the uh, kids earlier because to try to convince an 18 year old or a 28 year old or 38 year old, you know, Jackson Katz, who produced this movie, it's about the rape culture. Yes. And he talks about the top of the pyramid is, you know, just blatant rape. And then the bottom of the pyramid is. Um, you know, what is it that we're teaching about, you know, if there's a boy that gets, uh, accused of throwing like a girl and that's a bad thing, what is that saying about Sexist the equality? Jokes, right. Exactly. Uh, calling girls sluts, bitches, hoes, um, it, you know, like Todd said, assuming that there is a hierarchy that men are just inherently better than women and also the belief, and this is kind of the belief in the incel movement that Todd and I, I don't know if we've talked about that on no, the show, we have not. but it's something that Todd and I talk about, um, a lot, uh, and Todd will like talk to you more about what the incel movement is, but a lot of the belief behind it, which I think a lot of people carry, but maybe aren't as upfront or obvious about their beliefs is that women owe men. If, if a woman says she's interested in you, that she desires you, that she's hot for you, that she may even say, I want to have sex with you, that if that has been said, then the man gets to follow through no matter what. And, and when I'm saying that, that our court system have, has even upheld that, that if you said you wanted to have sex with him outside, if you got inside and said no, and he didn't listen, you already told him and he thought you did. So he was entitled to have sex with you. That's something we got to break apart. Like that belief system that men are entitled to get something they thought they were going to get. And the belief that a man can't stop. I don't know how many shows we've done about this. That's completely not true. Of course, a man can stop. Of course they can. And now why that's important is women have the right to have desire. Mm Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? For sure. A woman has a right to to be attracted to a man and to demonstrate interest of a man in a man with or woman. Because this is not gender specific, sure. but Todd and I are talking specifically about, you know, we talked about 91% of women um, or 91% of rapes are of women. Yeah. So I'm, I am being more gender specific in this conversation, I guess. But- you know, I'm, I'm sidetracking a little bit, but it's something I really want to bring in here is Elizabeth Gilbert has a new book out called City of Girls. And I've been really interested not only in the book, but in all of her interviews about it, because Liz Gilbert is a huge advocate um, for women's rights. She's a feminist, always has been. Um, she's taken a really non-traditional path um, with her life. You know, she it's a that's a long story. But her book, City of Girls, is about women's desire. Yeah. And that it's OK And that it's not something we should be ashamed of or shamed for. And she totally gets the Me Too movement, understands it, respects it, wants it to um, continue as far as opening up and and conversation and making sure we're all educated. But she doesn't want her, her goal with City of, or part of the goal with City of Girls, part of it was just to write a good book, but was to remember that women have desire too. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't mean someone gets to take from them because of their desire. Well, and it goes back to your quote. I mean, I, I never heard that quote yeah. uh, from the beginning yeah. of the book. Yeah. But the simplicity is, um, it's so it's so funny how quickly we can get lost in the details. Correct. The alcohol. Correct. The, and even in some of the interviews I listened to with Krakauer, he's like, I don't want to talk about alcohol. Yeah. Because alcohol is the mechanism that these perpetrators use. It's a weapon. It's something that they use both in themselves and trying to get their counterparts as drunk as possible so that they are 
less aware of what's going on. Um, so just read that quote to me one more time, sure. sweetie. Yeah, it's really powerful. I think I even read it to you when we were in Galena because I was like, geez, this is it, right? Now, and this is really important part of what I'm saying about Liz Gilbert's message and, and any feminist message, which is we have the right to our desire. Yeah. And, and if we want to have sex, if there's consensual sex, you know, that's okay. This yeah. is not a problem. So the quote starts now, should we treat women as independent agents responsible for themselves? Yes, mm -hmm. of course. But being responsible has nothing to do with being raped. Women don't get raped because they were drinking or took drugs. Women do not get raped because they weren't careful enough. Women get raped because someone raped them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just so funny how confused we get how as a society or the justice system or the police department or whatever it is. And the bottom line is that in most cases, 91% of the perpetrators are men and they made a decision whether coherent or not, that they were going to take what they thought was theirs. That is not even close to theirs. Correct. And, and they have been taught by society that it is theirs and that they're entitled to it. They have been taught that if a woman entices you or wears a low cut shirt or, um, you know, shows her body or says that she's into you or says that she's hot for you, that means you get to have sex with her. There is nothing true in there. Mm -hmm. There is women and men for that matter, have a right to be a sexual being right. without being taken advantage of in the process. And people, will, you know, I hope we're past this by now, but people will say, well, if we're actually going to communicate while we're about to have sex or, you know, it's going to ruin the process. Mm -hmm. Every step of the way, there should be consent. Consent. Yeah. Is this where we're going? Is this okay? Is this all right? Yeah. Or, you know, there is a, and when you are, when a woman is asleep or passed out and you're having sex with them, it's obvious that they're not aware of what's occurring. And this is how we shift the culture. This is why we have to have these conversations with our young men and our young women to make this, normalize this conversation. Exactly. And this documentary is called um, The Bystander Moment. Moment. Mm -hmm. Because, and you know, because most of the time a bystander is somebody who's sitting watching something happen. Well, and they, you know, in the movie, in the documentary, it talks about, you know, the Harvey Weinsteins of the world, Kevin Spacey's of the world, um, you know, Louis C.K.'s of the world. And they focus on that because we all know those yeah. names, right? And they focus on the fact that it wasn't just them. There were people around them who knew what they were doing. If, if anyone saw the R. Kelly documentary... Yeah. You know, you know, everybody in his entourage knew what he was doing. Mm -hmm. Not only did they not say anything, they sometimes helped him with the process. And so it, they may not be doing it, well, but they and, are bystanders. And the Hollywood effect with these movie stars that are being held accountable for some of their actions is, is fine and it's important. But um, I think sometimes it's easier to disregard it because we're not close to Hollywood Correct. stars. Yes. What, but the first... You know, stat we said to you, you know, I have three daughters. My buddy has four daughters. Yes. Odds are one of them is going to be assaulted in college. So here's a conversation Todd and I had in the car the other day. We were talking about this, uh, maybe not specific about this uh, statistic, but we were talking about this issue because um, eight out of 10 um, people who are raped are raped by an acquaintance. Mm -hmm. Okay. So think about that. So there's only two stranger danger rapes yes. out of 10. So eight of these people are people that the person's either dating or they know them. Sometimes it's spousal rape. Mm -hmm. um, yes, rape can occur within a marriage. Yep. Um, so it, that's kind of what's going on. So Todd and I were talking about some people we know, uh, you know, that we grew up with or went to school with or wherever, that we know stories about them. Sure. Not only do we know stories because maybe we were present for mm -hmm. something mm -hmm. or because I have people I know who told me. Yep. Um, I know a lot of stories about people who that I live by mm -hmm. who, um, you know, have had experiences because they've shared with me as a therapist. My point in saying that is that a lot of the people that are involved or the person who perpetrated the crime or who raped this person we're good. I'm going to use this word just so people understand. We're good guys. Yeah. Guys you'd see out and give them a hug and be like, hey, and you know, you could socialize with them and study with them. They weren't out there with a mask and a knife. Mm -hmm. They just didn't know. And I'm not trying to let them off the hook. They thought they could do that. Yeah. 
Well, and wouldn't you, know, you say that guys think they can do that sometimes? It's the whole culture. And I was in a fraternity system in the early nineties and it was we didn't even second guess that the that we tried to get the girls at our party drunk. Not necessarily to go rape them, but you were more likely to have a chance at hooking up with them. Mm-hmm. And sometime and, and what I now am still trying to figure out is if the only way to give consent is by is, is with a sober, enthusiastic yes, it makes me wonder, my four years of college, did anybody have any consensual sex? Well, and this is where we kind of have to do what Krakauer did, is let's remove alcohol for a second, only because it muddies it up, yep. um, and start to teach yep. and talk about what consent is early, and that basic understanding of entitlement to someone's body mm. or that someone do something to you or for you. Yeah. That is the real problem. You throw alcohol on that, that's like throwing gas on a fire. Yeah. Okay. So it just exacerbates it. It just makes it more likely or it makes it a bigger problem. Mm-hmm. But the the beginning stage to me, because no, I didn't have these conversations in college. We just, the, you know, Todd and I have these conversations all the time because not only are we trying to teach it well, we're trying to make sure that we share with others in the most um, accurate and fact, you know, we try and use really solid facts and really great examples so people can hear us. We're also trying to teach our girls this and we're trying to grapple with it ourselves sure. as, you know, grown people, yeah. right? Like where did we fall in this continuum? What was our belief system? And what we struggle with is like, what I always explained to Todd is in college, even in high school, and definitely when I lived in Chicago, it was all my issue. Mm-hmm. I had to carry the keys. I had to run home. I had to make sure I walked with somebody. I couldn't stay out past dark. I'm putting that in quotes. Nobody ever questioned what males were doing. It was our women taking care of themselves. You're even telling me a story, and I will be very careful here to not you know, give away who this, this story, you know, who this belongs to. But you were talking about somebody who was in a relationship where sometimes the person that they were with, the way they dressed Mm -hmm. created a situation in bars and parties. Now I was even questioning, you're like, what do you mean it created a situation? And you felt that. Yeah. You and I, you know, and I still don't know if there's any conclusion to this, but it was a confusing question. And the question was this, like there's my buddy, he has a girlfriend who is young and attractive and they go to clubs. Like it's not our world. Our world is Starbucks. Are you saying I'm not young and attractive and then I don't go to clubs? We go to Starbucks in a movie. And then Vegas once a year. And Vegas once a year. (laughs) And my buddy has a girl who's like, he's got a girlfriend who's like 24 years old and she dresses, um, what's the word? Um, I was going to say provocatively, but that's She dresses the way she wants to dress. Right. But some people perceive that to be uh, attention seeking from men or women. I don't know. And my buddy's like, listen, the, the reality of the situation is that she is going to get hit on more at the club if she wears a low cut top or, a, you know, a short mini skirt or whatever. And then all of a sudden it's a big hassle because I have to, you know, sometimes defend and protect this girl because some of these, I'm using this word, uh, I don't know if he did, Neanderthals mm-hmm. will just start really hyper-aggressively coming at her. Mm -hmm. And he's like, my night would be so much easier if she toned it down (laughs) so I wouldn't, so we wouldn't have to be put in the situation. And you hear that what you're saying though, right? Yes, I know. Which is women have to not want attention. They have to not wear what they want. And his argument was, it's not the way it's supposed to be. It's the way it is. Right. And So in the meantime, are we going to continue to try to educate our youth about consent and that it's okay for anybody to be dressed any certain way? And it doesn't mean that they're looking for anything, Mm -hmm. of course. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, the reality is when certain people dress in a certain way, they're going to attract more attention and they're more likely to get harassed. That's, That's the truth. Um, yeah. And, and this goes back to the, uh, 
you know, idea of like, he, she dresses a certain way and guys hit on her and I have to save her. Mm -hmm. And that whole idea of like, you know, the idea that, that men are there to save us, mm -hmm. men are saving us from other men. Yes. And we don't want to be, it's, I'm using this quote directly sure. from the Justin Baldoni thing. Sure. We don't want, we don't want to be saved. And of course we want to be like the bystander thing, like help and don't allow people to be hurt. If it be male, female, we, whatever. You shouldn't have to be saved. Why are, am I in a situation where I either have to be, um, you know, like wear certain things to make sure nobody hurts me mm -hmm. because the people I'm with are like, you men will hit on you and I have to protect you. So you just don't do that. Now I, I understand someone can lay that out in front of me and say, but in this moment, this is the way it is. Yeah. So let's just keep this person safe. I am willing to go, okay. And like, you know, to stand with you on that. If you at the same time yes. can stand with me on, this is a problem that needs to change Yes, because what the problem is, is when we say women just need to be dressed, just no. need to dress differently. Women need to girls and teenagers need to stop wearing yoga pants to school. Girls need to stop wearing halter tops because boys can see their bra straps. And we blame girls mm -hmm. for what boys and men have been taught is an entitlement to women's bodies. Mm -hmm. So it's this vicious cycle yeah. And 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 at some point we have to stop together in the middle and say, "Okay, I hear you." But can you then can we start to move this backwards where you start to understand that you may be turned on by a woman's body, but that's your thing to deal with. Being turned on doesn't mean you get to penetrate someone. Right. You don't get because you know what? Guess what? Women have desires too. We have fantasies, we have thoughts. Like, it's not as if sexuality isn't a real thing among human beings. Well, and I know you hate this movie, but there's a scene where Tom Cruise is talking to Nicole Kidman in Eyes Wide Shut. Uh -huh. And, like, Tom Cruise just has this assumption, like, oh, it's just the guys that are always out on the prowl. And um, Nicole Kidman's like, if you only knew. And what she talks about is, I totally have fantasies about... Absolutely. And, and, it's, and that was an interesting thing. But what I would like to do is be able to talk to... Um, I forget but, what I was going to... Go but ahead. let's stay on that yeah. for a second. Women do have fantasies. Yes. But fantasy is... Fa you know what? I am exposed to the entire male fantasy through porn every freaking day. Sure. So men get to put their fantasies out there and say, this is just porn. We just have a right to it. We get to do this. Yeah. And women's fantasies somehow then it's their detriment. Mm -hmm. Like if they have a fantasy world, they're asking to be raped. Yeah. Do you see what I mean? There's no like... And, and, and it's not a... What I want to do is find that place in the middle. It's not about we win, you guys lose, you should all go to jail. I don't want men in prison. Mm -hmm. I want men to understand limits. I want them to understand consent. I don't want to arrest a bunch of men. Sure. I want an understanding of that, you know, to ask, to have a conversation, to not start with the belief system that they are entitled to do what they want to do simply because not maybe just because they're male, but we'll talk about Missoula again, or some of these stars because they have power because they have, they're on the football team because they have never been taught that anything they do has consequences. Right. That's the conversation. That's where it starts with parenting. Sure. Do you see what I mean? Well, and, um, I'm going to go back just a few minutes. Uh, you talked about the yoga pants thing and, um, you know, it's, it's interesting because what I would like to say to like, let's say whatever, there's a seventh grade boy who all of a sudden gets a little, um, like there's a biological reaction because he happens to see the form of a woman's a woman, body. Right. There's nothing to be ashamed of. There's nothing to, um, suppress yourself about. There's nothing like that's a normal thing. Like we are created as sexual human beings. Like this is the way our creator designed it is it's, we certain sometimes do have certain biological reactions. There's nothing wrong with that. Now, what are you going to do with that? And that's the conversation that needs to happen. Thank you. Because women also, I mean, you know, if you've ever been to a strip club with women, mm -hmm. women also get excited sure. and you know and i'm using the strip club as an example just because you know when you get a grouping sure. of people together sure. and oftentimes in a intimate thing there's not a lot of people around yeah. unless you have you know different desires yes. and tendencies so my point is is that we all have desire and desire the desires that i have should not make me a victim Right. The desires that I have do not mean, well, you were asking to be raped. The yoga pants that I wear should not be 
turned against me as something I should be ashamed of. Mm-hmm. You know, like I, because not every, you know, I just said to Todd, because our daughters and our nieces just went uh, downtown to go shopping today. They're like, you know, all dressed up and excited. And I was just saying that a lot of times what our girls and what other girls wear is for other girls. Sure. We just like enjoy looking good for each other. And I know that may not make sense to a lot to maybe men. No, I think that's an important thing that needs to be said to a bunch of men and boys. Is like it's, We're not dressing we up for so you. We are so narcissistic sometimes. I know. <laughs> like, oh, well, they're just dressing up to make themselves look more attractive. So hopefully I can buy them a drink and take them home. Yeah, it's not about you all the time. Right. Yeah. I mean, I'm not saying it never is. I'm just like, you know, if you and I go out on a date, I think through what I'm going to wear because what color or blah, blah, blah. Mm. But that's because I love you and we're in relationship. And that is something that I choose for myself. Right. But I don't feel that I have to. You're not telling me what to wear. That's a totally different thing. And women often, especially in college and in high school and even in their 20s, they dress for each other or for themselves. Yeah. You know, they dress because they love fashion. They dress because they feel good a certain way. They dress because it's who they are. It's not all about sex. So I'm, and again, you may think, but you were, you know, me people may be listening thinking, but you were just talking about desire and women have desire. They do. And at the same time, leave room for all these things. There's desire. And then there's also, they just dress in a way that they want to dress. Sure. Like you and, yeah. So- Okay, go ahead. Um, I need to talk about our partner of the week, Wellcomb. Do you know uh, it's about the comb, sweetie? It's not about the chemicals it, that gets rid of lice and nets. So if you are a parent out there and you got that letter home from school or summer camp, um, most of the lice combs on the market slip right past the tiny 0.3 millimeter wide lice eggs, which are called nits. The Wellcomb has rigid teeth, just the right distance apart, and a beveled edge that is able to get right down to the scalp and capture and remove lice and nits. There's no pesticide or natural solution that can harm it. It's all about the comb. So this is what you do. Either go to wellcomb.com to order your Wellcomb kit, or you can go to the Dollar General to purchase a Dollar General general lice and knit removal kit, which includes the Wellcomb. So thank you, Wellcomb, for partnering with us and helping us make this podcast possible. Okay, so I want to talk about one more thing, and then let's switch to just talking about upstander and bystander. Okay. Okay. The one more thing I want to talk about is there was a case that was in the news last week um, about a judge who had decided to give um, an offender a really low sentence. And it was because, um, what was the quote? He said, so this judge said this young man had raped this woman um, and he had even texted his friends saying something specific like when your first sexual experience is rape. Like he even knew that what he was doing was raping mm. her. And he um, shared, I think, uh, I know he shared the text and possibly video, but I don't know that for sure. So I'll just say the text for sure, I sure. know. And so the judge said, when he was giving him his sentence, this young man comes from a good family who put him into an excellent school where he was doing extremely well. He is clearly a candidate for college and probably a really good college. And, um, he, you know, had good test scores and we don't want to condemn juveniles, blah, 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 blah. It's a kind of a long statement, but basically what he was saying was that because he had prior good character, he didn't want him to have to suffer. So my question is why we're so concerned about making young men suffer. It's the definition of white privilege. It is. And so actually I know the answer. And so this is what I want to share with people that maybe you don't know this because there was another court case where a, a female judge, actually a female judge said there was a young girl who was raped, a 12 year old by a 16 year old. And she said, um, you know, this girl, she really didn't have any long lasting consequences from it. I mean, again, talk about not understanding trauma right. and that because no one was really harmed in the process, except for that moment, that we should just move <laughs> on. Okay. So this is what I want everybody to understand in our, um, country there for post-traumatic stress disorder, there's two categories of the, of people that suffer post-traumatic stress disorder the most. And the category, you can probably guess the first one. Um, well, I know we're talking about uh, sexual assault is one of them, but the other Veterans. W- war. Yeah. yeah. So the two, the top two categories for people who struggle with post-traumatic stress are, um, veterans and, uh, rape. Yeah. Okay. Somebody who has been sexually assaulted, um, have 
not only does their brain chemistry change, like literally yeah. the hardwiring in their brain changes, Research. they have long lasting effects that often go throughout their lifetime. Yeah. Like I said, I have women in my office who are talking to me at, they're like 40, 45 years old about something that happened to them when they were 20 and they still can't figure out why they think and do certain things. Sure. Once they can connect it to that, they start to have some healing. But these are things, it's not the moment it's not the act. Mm -hmm. It's everything that happens after mm -hmm. what society tells them. The fact that they can't do anything about it. The fact that they don't feel they can talk about it because of the shame. It's this. It the is the worry that it might happen again. The worry that it might happen again. The 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 guilt that maybe the person who did it to them does it to somebody else. Um, the being told by family members don't say anything. Um, being afraid to tell anybody because then everyone will say, go to the police. And then you know where that's going to go. Yeah. Right. Um, or going to the police, they don't believe you. I could go on and on. Yeah. Just not only watch the, um, you know, not only read Missoula, but watch the documentary, the hunting ground, yeah. watch the documentary, the, the, what's the rape kit one. Um, I am evidence. I am evidence. What you don't need to take this from Kathy and Todd, like yeah. go out and watch some of this, uh, this, real life examples of what happens to people. Not only do people experience post-traumatic stress, but because they experience that, they end up having physical issues. They end up having, um, a lot of women end up with fibromyalgia and autoimmune disorders, and they end up with, and again, this is more mental wellness, but long-term depression, sure. long-term anxiety. There are This is not about, I'm saying it again, the moment. It's about what you're putting, what this person, what happens to them. Yeah. Now, I say that with also, because I'm a therapist, hope that if they can talk about it, if they feel understood and heard, they can move through it. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's not as if- Use it as a source of, of strength and power and, and definition and change the trajectory of your life to to help others that have gone through the same thing. There's a, so many different ways you can use it. Correct. Uh, like post-traumatic growth, yeah. you know? Yeah. And that's absolutely true. So I'm not saying- Every single person will experience that. But think about the statistic we told you. Yeah. There are so many women that are silent about this. And yes, men too. But because we're focusing yes. on women today, there's a silence around it. And the silence is deafening and it gets people sick. So I'm saying that because a lot of times we're so worried about, um, you know, I don't want to hurt this young man's mm -hmm. life. And we have already, the woman has already been so hurt often well, for a lifetime. Well, and I know you know this, but you know, you don't hear those types of stories for an inner city African-American youth. Yes. Thank you. Um, Thank you. And Very there's true. so many different examples of that, of the, of people getting treated differently because their parents have a really good lawyer. Absolutely. And because of all of their background and yep. their money and their family. And, you know, that's the thing, even though Todd and I are being very focused because we're talking about Missoula um, in this podcast, we're not even talking about the LGBTQ rate, sure. you know, uh, regarding sure. rape and uh, molestation or uh, transgender yep. people who there's there's such a like the statistics are even worse and higher yeah. and more challenging. And so this is a issue. And but here's the thing we can make a change if we at least acknowledge it's an issue. Like the reason I in the middle said, this is not about throwing people in prison. That's not what I want. I have no desire to see people's kids thrown in jail. It's not about, you know, um, punishment. It's about education. Yeah. But there's such a pushback about, no, this isn't happening. It isn't true. Women lie. And, well, and the universities are so complicit yes. because there's money to be lost. Yes. If their university is known, I'm sure that alumni probably stopped contributing as much because of the awareness that Krakauer gave to this town. Correct. Because there's a little bit, there's a stigma against it now. Did you hear, Todd, the uh, one thing, I think it was Krakauer who said this on the interview, he was saying that one place that could be a starting place, it's not the only place, but is in head coaches of football teams. Because they have all the power. They do. So if you had a guy on your team who had been accused of sexual assault, the first thing you do is maybe have... Um, uh, what's it called? Where they are, they can't play for a game or two. Suspended. suspended. Okay. So they're suspended. They're not kicked off the team because you actually, you have to, you know, sure. do, there's a yeah, process, process, right? right. Um, but then if, if it's true, like if there is proof that this person is sexually assaulted, that if they're let go from the team, 
what ends up happening is other teams are willing to pick up this player because they're good. And yeah. so there's, it's like a blind eye is turned. Yeah. So what's the motivation for someone to learn? What's the motivation for someone? It's happened with domestic abuse too, mm -hmm. where a player is released and another team's like, well, I'll pick them up. For sure. So there's not enough of a Everybody stigma. has a different moral compass. Every mm -hmm. organization, every person. And sometimes winning is more important to doing what I would consider the right thing. Yeah. And it has a lot to do with, you know, like the kid Bo in this book. Allison's first approach to him, because it was her best friend from childhood, was to say, I want an apology. I want you to admit what happened to me, which Bo did. He and she actually tape recorded it. Yes. She wasn't she wasn't planning on going to the police, but she needed it for herself. Right. But then as time went on, she realized that she was filled with anger and that she didn't feel like he was doing anything different. He was still out drinking. Yeah. And one time she showed up at a bar and he was there and she like felt sick and he was staring at her and she looked at him and he told her to f off. Oh my God. And so she's like, okay, wait a second. Dude, you may need to bleep that out. Yeah. Um, so she was like, wait a second. I thought like she really thought me just having him come forward will make her feel better and she doesn't need to go to the police. But there, even when something has been done and you've hurt someone and they tell you and your behavior doesn't change. Yeah. So anyway, so that's, I'm going to close the book on that. Um, thank you for all the time that I know I talked a lot. No, that's all right. I mean, you read the book. I didn't. Um, and I probably should, but I should re be reading a lot of books, but this is definitely one of them. And I love crack hour. So maybe it's in, it's on my, uh, Maybe it's in my future. Um, so talk about upstander and bystander a little more. Um, well, I, you mean the documentary or just what we're trying Anything, to cultivate? Like, what are we trying to cultivate? What's our goal in this I conversation? Want, I want the young men that are going to the documentary screening on Tuesday night to see the statistics, to know that because one thing that. Uh, um, Who's the guy that does that? Jackson Katz, Jackson Katz says that we, the reason we don't say something, you know, say it's you're in a fraternity house and you see something that you should probably um, intervene. But the or reason, a high school party, high school party, whatever. And the reason that we don't is not because we fear getting beat up, it's because of the social pressure that happens, the, the perceived social pressure that happens if you are the one that calls out certain behaviors. And what I want to do is empower the parents that are in that room to have these conversations with these young men and young women. And then for the young men and women that happen to be in the room, I want, I, I have a feeling that these are going to be, anybody who shows up to this type of screening is, in my opinion, has the potential to be a stand-up human being and to be a leader. Because unless you're having these conversations and you have this awareness, you're probably just going to kind of cower away. So I want to empower these young men to stand up that we're in at that high school party or in this college party or in your 20s at the bar and you see something that just doesn't look right, that you stand up not to protect this woman, but to call out that man who happens to be doing whatever this is. Um, and you know, that's a little, a few layers up the, the, the foundational layer is what do we, what does equality mean? And do we have a right to a woman's body? And my, my answer is no. And do we laugh at the jokes at the bar? And do we, you know, Tony Porter is one of our favorite teachers and he talks about how he was working with a young man. And when he gets compared to a girl, that the the specific words he uses is it would de and Tony asks the young man what would that do to you if you were kind of called a sissy or a young girl or something like that and he's like it would destroy him and Tony focuses on that language is like think about that it would destroy some young men to be compared to a young woman and his question is what are we teaching our young men about what a what a the value of a woman mm -hmm. and it's just totally messed up. So the only way that anything ever happens in my opinion is to have conversations. And that's the goal is like communication leads to education or education leads to communication. You know, they they go hand in hand, but like, you know, just the definition of an upstander, somebody who recognizes when something is wrong, first you got to recognize that something's wrong. Right. And you act to make it right. When we stand up for what is right and do our best to help and support and protect someone who is being hurt, we're being so Socially responsible. Yeah. That's the definition of an upstander. This, but to help our kids 
take action, they first have to know getting a girl drunk and bringing her in a bedroom is not okay. Like that has to be known. That's the piece that I think is missing is that kids don't even know is this, it's not even about the legal. Like we can bring the law in and say it's illegal, but it just isn't okay. Um, And one thing, and and I'm as guilty of this as anybody, but you know, because I opened the show with saying I have three daughters and it doesn't matter if I have three daughters or I have a wife or I came through my mom who gave me life. Um, We're human beings. It's got nothing to do with that I have a daughter or a sister or a wife or anything. What are we doing about treating one another if we think that this rape culture, which is absolutely a, a truth, and you know, once again, I, I hate to like disclaim, make these disclaimers, is what they found out through the science, as I'm understanding it, most guys aren't aren't this, but most guys are bystanders. Most guys are not the perpetrators. Mm-hmm. There's a few perpetrators, and they're doing it a lot, right? And they get really good at mm-hmm. it, and they want to do it over and over again. But most of us, and I hold my hand up, including me. I am a bystander who does contribute to this culture. And what I want to do is stand up and take ownership and call something out when I see it. And we can be creative about how we call things out. Like I can even say with my friends or, you know, people that I'm with, it may not be around sexual assault or rape culture, but you can steer someone in a different direction. Meaning if you see your friend doing something, you can be kind of a smart ass, mm-hmm. like, you know, Hey, why don't we not do that? Yeah. And you can, you can use humor, not every, like Todd, I, I'm going to speak for you for a second, but Todd's been kind of working on how to speak up with his friends for like the last 10 years. And initially you were kind of harsh and that wasn't effective. No, it just got him defensive. Yeah. And so like, he's been practicing this, like, how do you have this conversation without, cause you don't want to sound entitled either. Like just listen to me. I'm the one who knows you don't want to sound like a know-it-all. And we have these conversations all the time about how do we, you know, how do we say, can we help the person who might end up getting hurt? Maybe we don't go after our friend and say, you know, yeah, the, the, this can look so many different ways. That's what I mean is like, uh, I know one of our friends, I think it was Duffy. He was talking about that his son or maybe a friend of his son or something. I can't remember, but that at parties, sometimes they're just are, they're, they're noticing what's happening to the girls and they make sure that girl gets home. Yeah. So maybe they aren't like standing in front of their buddy yeah, threatening to fight to him, up, right? but they're saying to the girl, I will help you get home. So nothing happens. There are many different ways to be an upstander or to not be a bystander. I wish they would have called this movie the upstander movement. Mm-hmm. Rather, because bystander, they're trying to focus on the problem. The problem rather is than nobody the knows what an upstander is. Everybody knows what a bystander is. Yeah, I guess so. But That's what about my definition I just threw out there? I know, but people don't have your you defining things all the time. Come on, of course. Uh, one more thing yeah. uh, that um, I actually, I think I heard Dex Shepard say this on his podcast that at his daughter's school, they have an upstander award Mm. that they give like every week or every month. So these kids understand that part of your job in school is to speak up when you see something go wrong and to be socially responsible, that you are not just there for you, that when you are in a community, you are there to be a part of the community, which means sometimes speaking up and they award kids. Now, Again, I Let's know this not get can, into the award. It can discussion. go b- Bobby Brady yeah, wrong. Yeah, you know, like Bobby Brady became. What did he become? A patrol. Yeah, he was like a monitor patrolman dude. And he took advantage of his, his position. Power, right, blah, blah, blah. I know there are. We understand the pendulum and how things can go too far. But I like the fact that his daughter's school recognized why recognize the word upstander, yeah. and that part of our job within a society is to play a role in it and to not. Be in, live in secrecy. Yeah. So, um, I can't uh, cut off the podcast without first t- talking about Jeremy Kraft. He's a bald headed beauty. He does painting and remodeling throughout the Chicagoland area. He's been our partner since podcast number one. And now we're on park podcast number 501. So, thank you, Jeremy, for your partnership. If you live in the Chicagoland area and you're looking at getting something remodeled or getting your house painted, interior or exterior, he does it all. Give him a call, 630-956-1800, or go to avidco.net. 
And um, any other things you want to plug there? So the Bystander Moment movie is tonight, Mm -hmm. Tuesday, July 9th at 7 o'clock at the Elmhurst Public Library. I know not all of our listeners live here, but for people who live around, come. You you can register on our website, but you can just show up. Um, and you don't have to do anything. Sure. I mean, you could just come in and watch it. There's yep. no like pressure. We we're, it, this is community education. Yeah. We're just trying to offer something so people can have a new language and perspective. But Todd and I will stay after the movie's over. I think it's a 60 minute movie so we can answer questions or if people have a comment that they want to share. So, so you can just come in the back and watch it and leave, or you can come in and watch it and ask some questions. Like we're going to be there. So I really do hope uh, Todd has been really pushing the men in his men's group to come and men that he knows and any man who lives in the area. And I think women should come too. I think we should all be on the same page with language. Absolutely. Um, 1440, that's an awesome retreat center out in the West Coast. Kathy and I are doing a workshop out there October 25th through the 27th. Go to our website for more details. I'm a coach, so if you're a guy out there and you want to do some either um, uh, face-to-face coaching or virtual coaching, go to toddadamscoaching.com. And then we have Team Zen. I was going to say, you guys, okay, so if you guys have been listening, you know that we have Zen Parenting Radio. Last week we launched Pop Culturing, which is our second podcast. Do you know that we have a third podcast? Um, It's called Zen Talks. And we've been doing this for over a year. It's a part of Team Zen. It's really just another podcast. Yeah. Um, and we now have 60 of them. Yep. So if you join Team Zen, you get access to the Zen Talks podcast. So you have 60 that you can choose from, plus all the new ones that are coming up. Um, Team Zen is basically an opportunity to have access to this podcast, an opportunity to have access to a virtual community of people who are also doing the parenting thing. So you never have to feel alone, you know? And we Within Team Zen, we have even smaller communities within Team Zen, one community that's focused on raising children who are differently wired, uh, one community who's that are focused on raising teenagers. So within the community, which is great enough, there's even smaller communities that have gotten together to support each other. So Todd and I think this is like a no-brainer for people, but we just don't think that we speak about it very yeah. well because, uh, you know, people will still email us and ask us long questions. We're like, this is what Team Zen is. Yes. Come join us so we can a- answer and support you. Well, yeah. And you do, you can get on live or you can just listen to the podcast after the fact. It's 25 bucks a month. Um, we have a Facebook community where we support one another. It's just a lot more of Todd and Kathy. So if you get some value out of the Zen Parenting Radio podcast, you're going to love Team Zen. And, uh, you know, so we just love to have you join. Zenparentingradio.com. You can find Zen Parenting Radio, uh, our podcast, Pop Culturing. You can find Team Zen. You can find our events. You can find pictures of Todd. Yeah. Smiling. Smiling. Unshowered. Yeah, he's unshowered a lot. You I got know. a new socks hat, though. It looks nice. I do. That, that means I don't have to shower for a few more days. I know. Great. All right, guys. Uh, keep trucking. Love you. See you next week. Bye. Thanks for listening, everyone. Remember to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode and feel free to leave a review on iTunes. It helps people find us. Hey, we just launched our new podcast, Pop Culturing. It's Generation X look at movies, TV with a focus on personal growth and self-awareness. Basically, it's the flip side of ZPR. We break down key moments and little known facts and discuss what it means to be human. It's the podcast we've been searching for So we decided to create it ourselves. Yes. Did you know, Todd, that we have a third podcast? I did not know that. We do. It's called Zen Talks, and it's included with Team Zen membership. You get access to all the Zen Talks, the podcast, and that's, we have like 60 and counting, access to a community Facebook page where you can ask us your personal questions, and you have access to a parenting community so you will never feel alone again. Within teams, then there are smaller groups like raising a differently wired kid or raising teenagers. Just don't do parenting alone. Join Team Zen. Hey, we want to tell you about an exciting weekend workshop we have coming up on October 25th through the 27th at the Majestic 1440 in the California Redwoods near Santa Cruz. For more details, go to uh, ZenParentingRadio.com. Invite us to speak to your organization or your school about sex ed in the 21st century. It's the most important communication that parents can have with their kids, but it's not happening nearly enough. Email Todd at ZenParentingRadio.com or go to ZenParentingRadio.com to submit a speaker request. And while you're there, check out our other upcoming events or you can purchase one of my three books. If you ever shop Amazon, you can help us out by going to our Amazon link under support us on our homepage. It doesn't cost 
cost anything to you, but we get a small commission from Amazon. Guys, two things. I have a coaching practice and it's called toddadamscoaching.com. Check it out. And I also have a tribe men's group. And in the past, it's always been um, in person, but we now have a virtual community. We do at least one virtual call a month and it's awesome. Check it out. Go to tribemensgroup.org. It's an opportunity for guys to come together and talk about what really matters. Don't forget to put next year's ZPR conference on your calendar. It's February 28th and 29th. Boom. Um, and finally, Jeremy Kraft, he's a bald-headed beauty. He has a company called Avid Painting and Remodeling throughout Chicagoland area, 630-956-1800. Thank you, Jeremy. And thanks to all of you listeners for your love and support. And for goodness sakes, just keep on trucking.